I know, this is bonkers. Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align, three friends chat about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they can fit into this podcast. I am your host, Hannah. Sarah. And Meredith. Welcome to episode 29. Woo! <laughs> episode 29. housekeeping uh yes we are welcoming finland to our (gasps) country awesome oh yes love it welcome 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 let's not finish finish is way too hard what is (laughs) welcome i think that might be german yeah i suck at languages anyway it's fine Uh, same i have a couple things okay because i was catching up on the website and so i was Seeing stuff from old episodes. So from Sarah's zombie zombification episode, I ended up buying the book Behind the Horror that was in your references. And so it's like the story behind the horror movies. Oh. It's really fun. I just yeah. started it. But it's really fun. It looked really interesting. I'm um, I'm not mad about it. Nice. So if you like it. I, I only read the one chapter that had to do with the one that I was doing, but I... I still have the book. I should read the rest of it. <laughs> I was going to plug our affiliate link on TCT, truecrimetrine.com, on the bookshelf. Yeah. But if you do buy it, know that I'll probably use some of those stories. <laughs> so you might skip a couple episodes. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, I haven't gone this up yet, but I was looking at it, is from the Cropsy episode. Okay. And so I was looking for pictures for the website and for the Instagram, and it came up linked to Crip Camp. Have you heard of that? Mm -mm. No. It's a documentary on Netflix, and it's been on my to watch list for a while. I just don't watch very much stuff. But it's it's about, like, this camp in New York for disabled children. I think it was in the 70s or whatever. Oh. But it also, like, the camp up in New York was super cool and, like, treated them like humans and whatnot and so there's a stark contrast between that and willowbrook which apparently is in the documentary oh wow yeah so i saw that maybe you want to watch it a little bit more yeah and that so, was crypt camp it's crypt camp c-r-i-p oh okay. which seems like a slur huh. but it, it's supported by barack and michelle obama so okay oh. Well, there you go. <laughs> or produced or something by them. So it's fine. Okay. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Netflix. Cool beans. Or read a book, Behind the Horror. The, f- the first chapter's been fun. You know, it might be nice if they read the book because, I mean, who doesn't like listening to a podcast and being like, oh, I already know about this. I feel so I knowledgeable. Yeah. Then you can be like, feel so smart. Yeah. That's such a great feeling and like a real ego boost on like even horrible days when you don't want to do anything. And then you can correct us. And yeah. Let us know what we got Corrections wrong. Corrections corner. Mm-hmm. Woo. Like several months later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll get to it. Yeah, sure. Yep, we will. <laughs> that sounded very sarcastic, Sarah. <laughs> Sorry. Alrighty then. We good? I think so. All right. Okay. Finland, that was for you. 
All right, so this story is going to be a little bit dramatic, as is pretty obvious when you see that when the perpetrator appealed, the prosecutors started their rebuttal with a Shakespeare quote. Oh, shit. (laughs) As goes, murder most foul, as in the best it is, but this most foul, strange, and unnatural. Bonus points for who knows what play is that from? Macbeth. Yes! Yes. Woo! Now I'll buy you a beer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's Sarah just literally doesn't get any free beer anymore. How they opened it up on their like appeal they submitted to the court. I was like, okay, well, we're going for it. So we're gonna get the appeals way later. Let's start March 19th, 1985. Ooh, okay. Or the Garden Grove Police, which is in Orange County, California. They got a call about a possible homicide at 12551 Ocean Drive. Officer Halligan. Nope. Officer Halligan? Sure. Officer Halligan. Halligan. Officer Halligan arrived on the scene first. It was uh, quiet and dark, and Halligan was told by the dispatch that the suspect had fled the premises. And then the dispatcher also told Halligan that they had the informer on the line who was transferred to Halligan who told him, I think my wife's been shot. She's in the bedroom. I'm afraid to go look. Officer, was you? (laughs) So um, Halligan had a moment to think that it was somewhat odd that this man thought his wife had been shot when he hadn't even seen her. Mm -hmm. But he brushed that off and carefully entered the home. Once inside, Officer Halligan heard a gurgle coming from the master bedroom, where he found a young woman lying on the bed, covered in blood, with no evidence of a struggle. She was still faintly alive and was rushed to Fountain Valley Community Hospital, where the trauma unit tried heroic measures to save her life, up to literally massaging her heart with their hands. Oh. Yeah. But she died at 4.26 a.m. And the cause of death was two gunshot wounds in the chest. Hmm. And she was identified as Linda Marie Brown, 23 years old. 23, damn. Yeah. Very young. So... Linda Marie Brown was married to David Brown, whom Officer Halligan spoke with. David was 32 years old. Yikes. Though he looked much older. Oh, double yikes. Yeah, I know, right? I thought you were going to say he looked much younger, and I was like, eh, nope. He no. Definitely looked, nope, he definitely looked much older. Oh. There's pictures. He's puffy faced. Oh. It was the 80s? Yeah. Coke, okay. maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Coke bloat. David was asked by the police to describe the events of the previous day up until Linda was found. So, as David recalled, it was a fairly normal day. David's parents, Manuela and Arthur Brown, had come over to spend the day with the occupants of 12551 Ocean Drive. That would be David, Linda, Crystal, who is David and Linda's small child, baby, baby, definitely a baby, Cinnamon, David's 14-year-old daughter from a previous marriage. Cinnamon. (gasps) Okay. Yes. And Patty Bailey, who is Linda's 17-year-old sister. So, there's five people living in that house. Goodness. There were a few moments of tension, according to David. Uh, The first one happened during a game of Uno, when (laughs) David said... The friendship killer. 
cutthroat. David <laughs> said that Cinnamon threw a tantrum when she was losing and ran out of the room to the small trailer in the backyard where she slept. To be fair, though, like, Uno, come on, competitive Uno. She's 14, so, like, yeah. Yeah, it's not like it's Monopoly or anything. <laughs> no. The table turner. <laughs> I don't think I'd play Monopoly with the Browns if this is what Uno is like. <laughs> I wouldn't play Monopoly with anybody that I valued my friendships with. <laughs> Oh, I have Monopoly. Okay. (laughs) The second tense moment occurred between Linda and Manuela, uh, with Manuela being somewhat snappish over some of Linda's parroting techniques with Crystal. So grandma's butted in. Well, you know. As they do. (laughs) David said that he had insomnia that night, and so his solution to insomnia was usually to take a drive. So David told detectives that he first drove to a Circle K near his home, where he had bought a Dr. Pepper and a Hostess apple pie. Gee, that'll really help you fall asleep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a lot of sugar. And then quote from David, Then I went back in. I bought three or four comic books. The clerk thought it was funny for an adult to be buying comic books. End quote. Okay. Very specific. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, David then went to the beach where he sat for a while before going to a Denny's. Another quote from David, I stopped in at a Denny's restaurant in Newport Beach to use the restroom. I didn't buy any food. The place was full of Hispanics. I do remember seeing a heavy-built waitress with curly red hair and glasses. End quote. So, alibis and also being an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. When David arrived back home, he was met by Patty, who was terrified because she had heard gunshots in the house. Uh, David said that he then checked the entire house, except the master bedroom, and everything looked fine. He then called his father, asking Arthur what to do and, and telling him to come over because he needed help. And Arthur said, call the police. Yeah. <laughs> Why would he check every room in the house but the master bedroom? I don't know. Suspicious. But there's that waitress at Denny's we can go check with, so... Patty also told the police her version of that night, which was also quite detailed. So, quote from Patty, We went to bed in my room. David went to his and Linda's room. But Cinnamon wanted to watch more television. Something was wrong with her, and I thought she wanted to talk. So I went out with her to the living room. It was about 11.15, and we watched MTV. But she still wouldn't talk to me. End quote. Hmm. However, right as Patty told Cinnamon that she was turning in for the night, Cinnamon asked Patty to show her something first. According to Patty, Cinnamon was holding a gun. The regular gun that was kept in the house for protection. And she asked Patty how to use it. (laughs) To Patty, Cinnamon seemed anxious. And she said she wanted to be prepared for any emergency that may come up. Okay. So Patty showed Cinnamon how to use the gun. And then Patty went to bed. No big deal. Patty said that she fell asleep around midnight and was woken up suddenly in the night by the sound of a gunshot in her room. In her room? Mm-hmm. She had the wherewithal to check her clock, which said 2.23 a.m. Hmm. Less than a minute later, Patty heard a second shot and then a third. She described herself as petrified and had lain as still as possible in her bed until she had heard the sound of Crystal crying. So then Patty ran to the nursery, grabbed Crystal, ran back to her room until she heard a quiet knock on the front door. Patty was afraid to open the front door at first, but when she did, David was there. Why is he knocking on his own door? I don't know. (laughs) Got locked out. He forgot his keys at the Denny's. (laughs) But he can still drive his car. I don't know. Some people carry a house key separate from their car key. Eh, maybe. Well, 
The one thing that David and Patty disagreed on was whether he had knocked on the door. And David was saying that he wouldn't knock on his own front door, especially as he should have had keys on him since he was returning from a drive. So David didn't like that detail. Okay. But other than that, both David and Patty made sure to emphasize that Cinnamon Brown was troubled and acting out, uh, refusing to do chores or take any sort of direction from Linda. They both described Cinnamon as becoming sullen, rebellious, and sarcastic, especially towards Linda. And it got to the point where Linda kicked Cinnamon out of the house and into the backyard trailer. All right, fine. But where is Cinnamon? Mm-hmm. So the, stun- the sun was starting to come up and there had been no trace of her. So a detective McLean had searched the trailer and then he wandered over to a dog pen that had four large dogs inside, as well as a large dog house. After taking a second look at the doghouse, Detective McLean realized that the doghouse was not empty and was not occupied by a dog. Oh. He found Cinnamon Brown curled in the fetal position, covered in urine and reddish vomit. Oh. At least three dozen orange capsules could be seen in the vomit surrounding her. She had a piece of paper curled in her fist, which said, quote, Dear God, please forgive me. I didn't mean to hurt her. Wow. <laughs> okay. Cinnamon looked terrible, but was still somewhat oriented, so she was taken to the police station and interviewed by McLean and another officer. This is my first acting sprite. Here we go. Does anyone bring up my Cinnamon Brown notes? Starfish, take one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Snap! There's McLean and there's Cinnamon. Okay, who do you want to be? I'll be Cinnamon in this one. Okay. And whoever plays McLean in this one, it's fine because I have another one later on where the other person can play Cinnamon. Okay. Oh boy. I'll be McLean. Too bad it's not John McLean though. No, I know, but maybe. <laughs> it was the late 80s. Right? Come on. All right. yippee ki yay motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> All right, page three. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Okay. Scene one. McLean, another officer, and Cinnamon in an interrogation room at a police station. As McLean, Meredith will begin. <laughs> okay, I gotta get into character. Let me drink some more of my drink. And I will be Cinnamon. <laughs> when did you take the pills? Maybe 2.30? Maybe around 3? I'm really tired. My head hurts. I feel kind of lightheaded. Like, is my dad okay? How about Linda? How's Linda? Do you know why you're here? Because I hurt Linda. Because you hurt Linda? How did you hurt Linda? I shot her. You've been taken into custody, Cinnamon. I have? By me. I've taken you into custody because of what you did to Linda. Now Linda is dead. She's dead? In scene. <laughs> All right. Wow. Little piece. Uh, Cinnamon continued to deteriorate during the questioning, and right before she passed out, she said under her breath, please don't let them get away with murder. Uh, Cinnamon was taken to the hospital, where the hospital workers estimated that Cinnamon had taken 24 to 36 capsules of a combination of Darvacet and Diazide. Hmm. Of course, I have information about these two Okay, drugs. I was going to ask. <laughs> Diazide throws off the electrolyte balance in the body due to excessive losses of fluid. Mm. And as always, electrolyte balance is extremely important. And when it gets out of whack, your deep muscle reflexes get all fucked up. And that can also throw the heart out of rhythm, which can cause death. Okay. And then Darvacet is a pain reliever and a central nervous system depressant. And with overdoses, breathing is repressed, convulsions may occur, and the lungs fill with fluid. 
So together, they are a lethal combination. And if Cinnamon had not vomited up many of the pills before they were metabolized, then she very likely would have died in that doghouse. Oh, jeez. And do they know where she even got her hands on those? Because she was 14, right? From the house. Okay. Yeah. So what is diazide used for then, even? I'm actually not sure. You look that up. Okay. Uh, Cinnamon regained consciousness the following afternoon and was booked in absentia into the Orange County Juvenile Hall. Despite what David and Patty had said, Cinnamon's friends and teachers were all shocked to hear that Cinnamon had been accused of murder. Do you know? Yeah, so it's used to be able to help with fluid retention and with blood, high blood pressure. All right. So when you have too much fluid, <laughs> yeah, take and diazide and then it pl- removes down some to zero. of it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, fair. Makes sense. All right, so according to Cinnamon's friends and teachers, when they were questioned by police, what emerged was a picture of a teenage girl with an unstable home life who was being used as a pawn and transferred back and forth between her father and her mother. Hmm. But despite all of that, Cinnamon was a good girl. She's not a troublemaker. She had never used drugs or alcohol and had never shown any indication of a violent personality to her friends. And she'd always seem mentally stable, never suicidal. The worst thing that teacher said about Cinnamon was that she was sometimes mischievous, but in a fun way, and enjoyed attention and was easily distracted. Sounds like Like me at 14. (laughs) 14-year-old. I know. (laughs) You know. If anything, she was quite compliant, considering that she lived under suffocatingly strict conditions under David's roof. Her best friend described Cinnamon as being always on restriction, which I'm assuming is like being grounded, Mm -hmm. for things like coming home late or talking back. At this very moment, Cinnamon was under restriction for three months for talking back, so no visits, no phone calls, and limited TV privileges. Three months? That's pretty fucking harsh. It's a lot. She had never been allowed to give out her phone number or her address, and friends only saw her on the weekends when Cinnamon went to her best friend's house. For just talking back, that's a quarter of a year gone. I know, and she's 14. Jeez. So as detectives continue to talk with family and friends, the case seemed to get murkier and murkier to them. When they talked to Brenda Sands, who was Cinnamon's mother, they could tell that Brenda was still afraid of David, even though they had been divorced for years. This was also surprising because to them, David had just seemed like a boring middle-aged man. Middle-aged at 32. Yeah. (laughs) So suck on that, David. Uh, Oh, God. (laughs) Brenda also said that she felt that Linda was afraid of David, Hmm. which went against the story that David had been spinning of two lovebirds and soulmates joined at the hip. And then the real shocker came when Brenda told the police that David and Patty had visited her just before the police came to interview her. And David had told her that Cinnamon had overdosed on some pills and not to tell detectives that Cinnamon was a a good, well-behaved girl. Hmm. Weird. How old was Patty again? 17. That's right. Okay. Prior to this, Brenda and Cinnamon had gotten into a big fight before Cinnamon went to go live with David for a while. But they were no longer angry at each other, but David insisted to Brenda that Cinnamon would run away if she was forced to go back and live with Brenda. This is despite the fact that Cinnamon often complained to Brenda about how she felt like a slave at David's house, forced to do the majority of the housework while Patty was left off the hook. She also told Brenda that Linda and David weren't getting along, 
and one time she, David, and Patty had arrived home and overheard Linda on the phone with her twin brother, Alan, talking about getting rid of David. <laughs> Prior to her trial, Cinnamon was seen several times by psychiatrist Dr. C. Wright Anderson. C. Wright? <laughs> yes. That's such a cool first Like name. the ocean. It's amazing. At the first meeting, Dr. Seawright found Cinnamon to be coherent and honest about the facts of the night, but unable to describe any of her feelings during the murder. She denied that she wanted to kill Cinnamon, which was a bit odd considering that she admitted to shooting Linda twice in the chest. Uh, Cinnamon was most concerned about her father and whether he still loved her, even after she shot his wife. Based on this meeting, Dr. C. Wright diagnosed Cinnamon with major clinical depression. She definitely has that now. And <laughs> postulated that Cinnamon had been so depressed at the time that she had not been able to tell the difference between right and wrong. Okay. However, when Dr. Seawright met with Cinnamon for a second time, she had absolutely no memory of him or of the night in question. So, Dr. Seawright adjusted his diagnosis to psychogenic amnesia, which is amnesia that, that is caused by mental trauma rather than physical trauma, as well as dissociative dis disorder on top of the depression. So her <laughs> brain's just blocking it out? Yeah. To protect her? Yeah. So as Cinnamon waited in jail for her trial, David and Patty moved back into the house where Linda had been shot. They hadn't been home for more than a day when David called his friend Denise Summers and begged her to come and stay with him for a bit and help out. All these Orange County last names are making me laugh. Like, Sands and Brown oh my and God, Summers. Summers. I'm like, wow. <laughs> All right. And see right. See right. I know. It's great. When Denise showed up, she found that David was too afraid to sleep alone, and he suggested that he and Patty and Denise sleep together in one mattress with him in between the two girls. Ew. Denise <laughs> was not a, not a fan of this arrangement. Guys, I'm sad. I want a slumber party. I know. Ooh, so skeevy. Ooh. It's so skeevy. We haven't even got to the tip of the iceberg. Oh, mm -mm. no. Like I said, Denise wasn't a fan of this arrangement, but somehow they settled on having Patty in the middle. Yeah, Denise is like, keep your nether regions away from me. Although I'm going to put this 17-year-old <laughs> girl in between us, but... Um. Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, God. I went on a cruise with my stepbrother, <laughs> my sister, and my husband, and we got into our cabin and it's... I don't know if you guys have been on a cruise, but it's, they're so nope. small. And so there was like this flap down bed and we we're like, <laughs> like a Murphy bed. Yeah. Just like this. Well, no, it was like just from the ceiling. And then it was like, like, like above the bed. Yeah. Oh, kind of wow. like a flap down bunk. And so my sister being the smallest, we were like, yeah, you're on, you're on the fucking bunk. And so that left me, my stepbrother and my husband oh, looking God. at this, this bed. Right. And so I was like, Daryl, you're in the middle. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> you gotta take one for the team, Daryl. Come on. Anyways. That's... Was there like a, a nesting spoons situation? <laughs> well, we did a lot of drinking on that cruise, so. Oh, so you don't remember uh, anyway. Yeah. I... That sounds great. Yeah. It was a I was good trip. say, head to foot is what I did when I was sharing a bed with Alex in Europe. Head to foot is always a good one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We need to bring some flavor. Yeah. Okay. So during her short stay, Denise had become very uncomfortable around Patty. So if Denise and David went anywhere without Patty, Patty would give them the third degree when they got home. 
obviously jealous of anyone spending time alone with David besides herself. Denise noticed that Patty had also begun to replace Linda. And so she sat in Linda's chair, started wearing Linda's clothing, Ew. and had even replaced framed pictures of Linda with framed pictures of herself. Rude. Who the fuck? <laughs> Sorry, dead sister. I don't and care literally, anymore. this is like... I would say maybe two weeks max. Oh, Jesus. Because Denise, really Denise did not She's supposed stay. to be mourning. Yeah, Denise did not stay long. She, is like, it this sounds is all like she up. stayed longer than she should have. That's creepy shit. Did Denise tell the police how weird they're being? No. No. Damn it, Denise. I don't know if you could just say they're weird to the police. <laughs> they're not mourning. Well, they're not mourning. He wants to canoodle. No. Yeah. Oh, all right. So, detectives also felt weird about this case. Mm-hmm. Patty and David's story changed ever so slightly as they talked about it with other people. However, they did have a detailed written confession from Cinnamon, so the case seemed open and shut. Cinnamon caught a big break, though, when her defense attorney was successful in having the confession thrown out, Ooh. arguing that Cinnamon had been under the influence of painkillers and other medications before she fell unconscious during the interview. I mean, she practically still had vomit on her shirt while they were interviewing yeah, she her. Was like, like, she needed to have been in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, so this makes 100% sense. And she's 14, too. Yeah, she's a minor. She's not. And she was interviewed alone. Of, yeah, no. So there was no longer any confession in the eyes of the law, and there also was no physical evidence or eyewitnesses. So Jay Newell, who's another detective, poured over the evidence and the hospital records, trying to find some other kind of evidence that could prove that Cinnamon committed this crime. And he hit a gold mine when he was reading the hospital records of the days after Cinnamon regained consciousness and realized that he was basically reading Cinnamon giving her confession again, this time to third-year medical student Kimberly Hicks, who had dutifully recorded it in all of her charts alongside her medical information. Oh, good job. So, Diligent student. Mm-hmm. So even though Take they Take your notes. Yeah. Even though the confession given to detectives was out, this confession, given after Cinnamon was medically coherent, was accepted and Kimberly Hicks had to testify against Cinnamon. Oh. Uh, Cinnamon's trial for first-degree murder began on August 7th, 1985. Although her father had faithfully visited Cinnamon while she was in jail, making sure that she knew that he still supported and loved her, he did not show up to the trial. Even on the day he was called as a witness... (laughs) Backing off by saying he was too ill to attend. Your daughter's murder trial. Okay. You're also called to the stand. Yeah. Don't they, like, can't you get arrested if you don't show up? Yeah, there's like a bench warrant for not showing, I think. I think he was able to get some kind of dumbass medical exemption, but... Kimberly Hicks' testimony was devastating for Cinnamon. So Cinnamon had told Kim how she had shot Linda one time, then heard her crying out saying, Help me, it hurts. So Cinnamon returned to the bedroom and shot Linda a second time. Jesus. So when Kim asked why she would shoot Linda, Cinnamon said that she didn't know what else to do. Uh, Linda had threatened her, telling her that she couldn't live with them anymore. Uh, Cinnamon also claimed that she had heard Linda confer with her brother on how to get rid of David, and Cinnamon couldn't let them harm her beloved father. Whoa. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. Cinnamon's sentencing took place on September 13th, 1985. Uh, David was well enough to attend this hearing, (laughs) but as Jay Newell watched him, he saw that David did not seem particularly concerned about his daughter's fate. 
Instead, he sat behind his ex-wife, Brenda, and bothered her like a kid in the classroom. Seriously? By pulling her hair and kicking her chair. Jesus. Oh my god. 32 going on 12. But also 50. <laughs> gross. This guy sounds really pathetic. I'm just like so skeeved out by everything about him. Oh, he's him. so gross. Yeah. Judge Fitzgerald ruled against Cinnamon's defense attorney's last salvo, where he was trying to say that Cinnamon was not sane at the time of the murder. Instead, the judge signed Cinnamon to 27 years to life for first-degree murder. But she's 14. Since she was a minor, the judge recommended that she serve her time at the California Youth Authority facility, called Ventura School, where she would receive psychiatric treatment and be housed with girls her own age. And since she was a minor when the crime occurred, it was unlikely that she would serve the whole sentence. Okay. And the prosecutor explained to the press that the average time that a youthful offender spent in prison in California was six years. So Cinnamon could be released by her 21st birthday. Damn. But it was not a, it was not a guarantee. Ugh. So the prosecutor's... The prosecuties. Uh, <laughs> prosecuties. I like that. Had won their case, but detectives Jay Newell and Fred McLean, McLean just couldn't get it out of their mind. And they believed that there was much more going on than Cinnamon suddenly deciding to kill her stepmother. And the relationship between David and Patty was suspicious, and small details did not add up. But, you know, they had a job, so they had other cases, so they and we are going to leave Cinnamon in jail for a while and learn more about her devoted, loving father. Ugh. Ugh. David Arnold Brown was born in Phoenix, Arizona on November 16th, 1952. Scorpio. Uh. Scorpio. Yeah. His birthplace was extremely appropriate as David admitted that he identified with the mythical Phoenix and its ability to rise from the ashes. Oh, I was going to say the scorpions. Yeah, you know, both. <laughs> he's definitely more of a scorpion than a phoenix. But um, he's more like a tumbleweed, just bouncing around, spreading his seed everywhere. Yeah. Oh, we haven't even got to how much he's bounced around. Oh no. <laughs> David was the sixth of eight children, born to young mother Manuela. Uh, but he was not a mommy's boy. He denied ever loving Manuela and described her as selfish, controlling, greedy, and violent. Hmm. As David grew older, he became mean and tormented her with bad-natured teasing, once saying that she was so overweight that she had broken four chairs. <laughs> I think that's when oh. you slap your child. Yeah, or grounding. I mean... Restriction for three months? Restriction? Sure, that's restriction for three months. That's rude. Despite this, Manuela remained a fixture in David's life even as he became an adult. And she and her husband would visit David often and would even live with David sometimes. And David's father, Arthur, seems like he was overall a good man, but very meek and powerless and just wanted to, like, appease everyone around him. So People pleaser. Yeah. Various acquaintances had heard various traumatic childhood stories from David including he had been jumped by a gang of Indian youths. Hmm. He had been molested by an old man in the park. Ew. Uh, when he was 10, he watched a relative slit his wrist, but he was so immobilized by the sight of blood that he didn't do anything. He was physically punished at home to the point of abuse. I don't know if any of those things are true. Yeah. Okay. But two things that are certain are that David ran away from home and began living by himself when he was 14, and he dropped out of school after completing the eighth grade. All for that higher education. <laughs> when David was 15, he got his first girlfriend, Brenda Krugs. Oh. Yeah. 
She was also a teenager with a bleak life. Uh, she was the oldest of 11 children. Jesus. And had to be like the mother to many of them. This is in Phoenix? I'm 100% sure where he is at this point, but yeah. That's a lot of fucking kids, man. I was going to say 11 children sounds like maybe Salt Lake City, but. Well, David had seven siblings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Oh my like gosh. these are big families. Can you imagine the get togethers? Jesus Christ. As someone who only has mom, dad, and brother still alive in my entire family, no, I cannot. <laughs> that's just like, that's so much money to have to care for. Oh, things cost well, back then. The family was also extremely poor. Oof. That's the Gallaghers from Is that uh, Shameless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were way more poor than that, though. But use a condom. I know, 11 children? I mean, Brenda was the first child. She. She would have made it out, but Mm. Brenda wanted to escape from this bleak life, which was perfect for David, because he could be her rescuer, which would leave her dependent on him. Mm. Oh, great. There was one small problem. Brenda was already dating somebody, Andy, a nice boy in her words. Nice boy, not like a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) A nice boy. Okay. Uh, David asked Andy if he could take Brenda out on one date. Andy agreed for some reason. What? David and Brenda went on their first date and remained together after that. Andy's like, yeah, take her. <laughs> I don't understand. Andy. I can't Andy. I can't get out of this situation, but I really don't want eleven of her siblings hanging out with us. Oh my god. Andy might have dodged a bullet. That's the thing that makes the most sense. I'm like, why would Andy say yes to that? He's like, oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. Spend the night. <laughs> All right, well, when David was 16, Brenda and David ran away together. Brenda was euphoric, happy to be taken away from her bleak life, and totally in love with David, despite some troubling signs. But she was just a teenager, too. But David was jealously possessive of Brenda, Mm. wouldn't let her wear makeup, and was furious when she learned to drive without telling him. How dare you have autonomy, woman? Uh huh. He girl was also paranoid, so he had discovered a little switch behind the bread box of their house and became absolutely convinced that people were listening in on them. Uh oh. What? Wait, a switch? A switch like that turns the bread box on and off? I don't know what the switch is. <laughs> My grandma's like farmhouse. We had a little switch in every room. But you plugged in the vacuum hose, so you could vacuum every room. Oh, okay. And it was like oh. central vacuum or something. <gasps> yeah. That's so cool. I really liked it. And she had some great shag carpet, too. It was teal That's like when and they built blue. stuff that was like supposed to be futuristic in like the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. That's like... It 100 was. They don't do that anymore, but it's so cool. They also put an intercom in the kitchen that connected to the intercom in the master bedroom. <laughs> Honey, while you're down there, grab me a glass of water. (laughs) Yeah, when they were building this house, someone chose some futuristic shit. That's awesome. (laughs) My grandma, who's not very materialistic, I don't know. Anyway, David was also obsessed with his health, convinced, or at least wanting other people to be convinced, that he was dying of cancer. Uh, He told Brenda he had colitis, and although she wasn't sure what that was... It sounded sufficiently scary, and Brenda said he didn't seem perfectly healthy. Quote from Brenda, He had the runs, and he was always sweaty, and he got overheated so easy. Ew. <laughs> Drag Sounds him. Sounds like he's just not eating right. I know. 
When Brenda was 17, she became pregnant. David petitioned his family and her family for permission to get married, which they begrudgingly agreed to. Mm -hmm. And Brenda and David were married May 13th, 1970. Was it a Friday? I don't know. You said 1970? Yeah. Oh, because it's a Friday the 13th. Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, Brenda went into labor on July 1st and spent two days in labor with (gasps) hard contractions. Jesus. Completely alone. No. David had a weak stomach and couldn't bear the sight of blood or the sounds of pain. He couldn't be bothered. (laughs) However, Daryl almost (laughs) died the day our daughter was born. I will just say that. Did he faint? I was like breathing... And I'd look over and he was like holding his breath. I'm like, dude, you got to breathe like me. (laughs) Oh, no. You got to breathe. Even the nurse was like, dude, go sit the fuck down. You're going to pass out. Go to the corner. Oh, God. (laughs) Just like hyperventilating. It was awful. (laughs) Well, once Cinnamon was born and cleaned up, David completely doted on her. And she was definitely a daddy's girl. And David seemed to be proud of that fact and to also make an effort to claim her affections. Well, Brenda was left with all the boring scut work part of actually raising a child. He just needs to feel needed. Oh, yeah. He never really, like, got any self-value in his younger years. For sure. Yeah. They got married on a Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> Wednesday. Okay. That's, I mean, that's when it would be cheapest, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> actually, yeah, probably. David enrolled in the Work Incentive Program, whatever that is, and quickly earned his GED. Uh, He was smart enough and wanted to be a computer technician, so the Work Incentive Program sent him to the Controlled Data Institute in L.A., whatever. As he made his way through the Computer Technician Program, David remained obsessed with sex and with women. Quote from Brenda. He was oversexed. Even with having sex three times a day, he came to me and told me that he thought he'd gotten married too young and hadn't had enough sexual experience. He asked my permission to go out with a woman he'd met at work at Cal Comp in Anaheim. She was older and had two kids. I really tried to understand him, and his argument kind of made sense, so I said okay. No. Well, but if well, he's, like, making her have sex three times a day, and she's, like, day tired, is, like, yeah. Three times a day, and she has a baby? Go. She's tired, because she has a baby already. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Go. Three times a day is a, a lot, too. Like, your fucking vagina's gonna get, like, Has calloused. this guy never figured out, like, that he has hands? I know. <laughs> well, well, we'll actually talk about that later, too. Ew. God. <laughs> Eventually, though, Brenda couldn't take it anymore, as David was stepping out on her with multiple different women. But he was also convinced that he was enough of a mastermind that he had been deceiving Brenda this whole time. Uh, Brenda knew and served with divorce papers in 1984, even though she was scared of him, and rightfully so, because, quote, David came to where I worked and held a gun up against my head and said that if he couldn't have me, nobody could. Jesus. I just didn't care. I told him to go ahead and shoot me because he'd never get away. The police would lock him away forever. I was just so tired of fighting him. He finally dropped the gun and walked away. Did nobody... He didn't get arrested? Apparently not. Jesus. What the fuck? I don't know where Brenda was working, but co-workers? (laughs) Call someone. (laughs) 911. Yeah, Yeah. it's only three two numbers. You push one of them twice. (laughs) Well, David finally signed the divorce papers and dropped them off in the company of his new girlfriend, Lori. Oh, so trashy. Yeah. Oh. 
He wanted full custody of Cinnamon, uh, but Brenda was learning how to stand up for herself, and she hired a lawyer. Good for you. So she was given full custody of Cinnamon, and David had weakened custody. David remembers this whole situation differently. Of course. In his story, Lori was just a work friend who confronted him with a story that Brenda was the one cheating on David. David described himself as being completely torn up by the chain of events. So torn up, in fact that he married Laurie Carpenter on October 4th, 1974, the same year as his divorce from Brenda. No surprise. David was 22, and Laurie was 19 at the time, which was a bit old for David. Even though he's 22, going on probably 30 because he ages terribly? Yeah. Yeah. Gross, dude, gross. While married to Laurie, David met the Bailey family, who lived a few houses down from them. And it was a similar situation to Brenda's life before she met David. There were 11 kids, Holy again, jet. God. being raised by a single mother who may or may not have been an alcoholic. Uh, why wouldn't she be an alcoholic? I think, yeah, I mean, there's reason. <laughs> 11? All by yourself? I know. I can barely keep up with one. Jesus. <laughs> I can barely keep up with two cats. <laughs> <laughs> It's not made the same this, these days. <laughs> well, I also know how to use protection. So. Yeah. There is yeah. that. Well, David swooped in like a white knight and told Ethel, the mother, Ethel. that he was dying of colon cancer and, oh, could one of his her teenage daughters help him keep up his house? Ew. That Ew. Is so gross. Well, he would pay them, of course. For keeping up the house. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Keeping something else up. Ew. Ugh. Ethel agreed, and David started to wiggle his way into the Bailey family, acting as a father figure and buying enough treats that they had learned to depend on him. Quote from David. I bought those kids the first store-bought clothes they ever had. I bought them clothes, toys. I took the whole stinking family to Disneyland and Magic Mountain. Yeah, I'm a horrible man. The older kids didn't care that the younger ones had no Christmas. End quote. Wow. Self-righteous much? Yeah. Yeah. Well, David first began to date Pam Bailey. Wait. What? This is a different Bailey. Pam, not Patty. Uh, Pam Bailey. But but isn't Pam Bailey the name of the the girl from the office? Is that not her name? Am I losing my mind? It's Beasley. Beasley. Okay, damn it. Okay, fine. (laughs) I was like, "Ah, it's Pam. Pam has a dark backstory. (laughs) A predator creeped on her. Well, he David first began to date Pam Bailey, who was in her mid-teens. No, gross. But his eyes, Ethel, kick this monster his out. His eyes were on 13-year-old Linda Bailey. Ugh. Oh, my goodness. And he was 22. 22, 23, yeah. Okay. That's fucking sick. That's so fucking gross. And what I kind of glean from reading this is that David was more a father figure to Linda. At he first. groomed her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she didn't have a father figure and he was someone, you know, she could confide in, discuss Ugh. all her troubles. But like Brenda, she also came to see David as the means of escape from her family situation. Sure. So no. David and Linda began dating when Linda was 15. David was 24. Ugh. No. So what happened to his relationship with Pam? Well, he was still legally married to Lord. Oh, Pam. Yeah, her sister. Nothing, I guess. We never hear from Pam oh, again. Okay. But he was still legally married to Lori. Oh, that's right. Oh, who was 19, so now she's like 20- 21. 21, maybe. <laughs> but 
That relationship quietly petered out. When Linda was 17, Ethel, her mother, gave her consent for Linda and David to be married, so they drove to Las Vegas and were married on June 21st, 1979. Wait, so is Lori... Does Lori know that he's hanging out with these teenage girls while they're together, too? not that much about Lori. Lori, what do? (laughs) I mean, I think she had to kind of notice her husband started dating a 15-year-old. And maybe that's... She started moving away. She didn't alert anybody, but... She did GTFO. When were whistles invented? Because the only thing I can think of is like, maybe they didn't have whistles to blow back then. (laughs) This is like the fucking, yeah, 1979, I'm pretty sure whistles had been invented. (laughs) Well, and what should come as a surprise to absolutely nobody, marrying a 17-year-old did not go well. Yeah. Linda and David lived together for exactly one month and 24 days, getting a divorce on September 18th, 1979. (laughs) David vaguely said the marriage ended because Linda had problems with drugs or alcohol. He couldn't remember which. No, 17 was too old. Yeah. Yeah. But no one else ever remembered Linda having any trouble with drugs or alcohol. Ugh. So David had a quick rebound and had his fourth marriage to Cindy on May 24th, 1980. He is a, he's a tumbleweed. Oh my yep, God. Yep, I'm telling you, he's tumbling into all of these women's vaginas. Oh, God. David seems to be a bit hazy on this relationship because he couldn't even remember Cindy's age, which was undoubtedly younger than 27, which was how old David was at the yeah. time. Oh. He seems to be going for people that were like a decade younger, mm-hmm. so. He's got an age preference. Mm-hmm. It's gross. The one thing that David did remember about Cindy was that she was a gorgeous one. But not gorgeous enough to come between David and Linda, who continued to see each other behind Cindy's back. (laughs) This is so, like, there's so much here. This is why this is so long. This is why we need to teach daughters self-worth in that men are pigs. (laughs) Men are pigs. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, we're like Kirk somewhere in the house. Daryl's around. (laughs) Andrew's around. We're like, it's fine. Both of my cats are males, but they are neutered. Otter, you're not an asshole. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Sometimes he is. is. He is when he wakes up at 5 a.m. He just wants you to wake up too. He's too smart too. So he's going to be an asshole. (laughs) So David sued Cindy for divorce on July 28th, 1981. About six months later. Wait, it's called suing for divorce? Apparently. Does he get... Okay, sorry. I was really hoping that it was going to be the other way around and have Cindy leave his ass for once, but... Cindy and David separated on Christmas Eve, 1980, and Linda moved in... Within days. Oh my god. David was pleased as punch and bragged to anyone who would listen about their sex life and how they would, quote, make love... Barf. No. At least. not love David. Hello, David. Uh, uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, they would make love at least once a day and never the same way twice. What? And I may be outing myself here as unimaginative, but you've got to run out of positions eventually, right? They've got like the Kama Sutra Encyclopedia. Even that has a limit. Even that, like (laughs) at least once a day, never the same way twice. Sir, please. Yeah, you get bored in three years, maybe, with a thousand-page Kama Sutra book? Yeah, I guess they have some time. Okay. Well, not everyone was pleased. 
Linda's older sister Mary reminisced about how Linda had dated other guys in between David's marriage number three and marriage number five. And uh, (laughs) she would have preferred any of them over David. Yeah. To Mary, it seemed clear that David was extremely controlling and wanted Linda all to himself taking pains to keep her separated from her family as much as possible. God. I might need to get a beer soon. Linda's younger sister, Patty, was also not pleased about the marriage. Number five. She had been seven or eight when she had first met David, but she had adored him from the start. Yeah. Things weren't great. Is he, at- like, oh. like, at least somewhat handsome? Like, no. Sure, he looks old, but, like, maybe he no. some forward aging well? Kind of a little, I think, when he was super young. Probably around this time, he still had a little bit of handsomeness, but it, it left. No, all the pictures I'm looking at, he he looks like a fucking troll. No, he's <laughs> not good. There's a picture of him with um, Cinnamon when she was a baby, and he looks like an 18-year-old dude, but he crashed super hard after that. Yikes. Well, things weren't great at home for Patty, because it's very likely that Patty was being actively molested at home. No. By maybe a brother? It's not super clear, but things weren't great. And so she, too, was looking for a way out and didn't find it particularly fair when David and Linda remarried. Linda already had her chance. Okay. I just looked at pictures of him and God, there's no way he was attractive when he was younger, even. I can't find that one of him when he was younger, but... Ugh, no. Yeah, he's just nasty. But yeah, like kind of the pock face. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, this dude is just ugly as fuck, man. So gross. Well, in the meantime, David was busy developing the process. The... (laughs) So, he had first work for RandomX Inc., which was a data recovery company that was a godsend to companies who were transferring over to computerizing their business, even though computers might not have been up to that responsibility at the time. So back then, like, a data crash could bankrupt an entire company. Sure. Oh. RandomX had a success rate of 40 to 60% for retrieving lost data, and David added a few improvements to this process, left the company, and began marketing the process as a miraculous data recovery technique that he had come up all by himself. Hmm. So you're a genius. (laughs) To be fair... David had a 70% recovery rate, so he did improve it. Okay. And what was the process, you may ask? Not a cult. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. (laughs) I know, right? Well, if you listen to David, it was an extremely complicated procedure that you would not understand. But the only required reagents were Q-tips, rubbing alcohol, and non-oily detergent. So you would probably understand. Just to separate the dust that's causing weird I charges. I guess. Like, it's just, hmm. it's nothing. One thing that is certain, the process was extremely lucrative, and David was making six figures a year. Damn. Especially back right. then. I know. Yeah. And if David wasn't bragging to you about his sex life, he was telling you about how he was Mr. Coca-Cola, or how the Pentagon had him on speed dial. And he was the man who was able to determine why the Challenger exploded when he was given just the debris to work with. And I don't know which conversation is worse. Ugh. He's just really full of himself. Oh, yeah. And it's really not okay. He needs he needs a dose of imposter syndrome. Why do I think everything I do is stupid? And this motherfucker? Sociopathy. Yeah, it's almost like he needs, I don't know, he needs to tell people these grandiose stories so he can feel better about himself and 
you know, yeah, overshadow any shortcomings that he may feel. Oh, what if they're shortcomings? <laughs> <laughs> That's why they need all those because positions. then they couldn't have no because. Short penis, some positions aren't even possible anymore. Yeah. I guess that's true. Uh, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Cinnamon Brown was being bounced around between her parents and didn't feel like she quite belonged anywhere. Understandably. Yeah, and you already, you're a teenager, you already feel like really confused about yourself and your place in the world. And it doesn't help if you don't feel like you belong in your own family either. Mm -hmm. So it's a not great Especially now, she had to compete with Patty for her father's love and affection. Yeah. Because very soon after Linda and David's second wedding, they invited Patty, who was 13, to come and live with them. Patty immediately jumped at the chance and completely devoted herself to the small family that they were creating. And the person she devoted herself to the most was David, her rescuer, her white knight. Staying with David was the driving force of Patty's existence. She didn't seem to care much about making friends or losing friends as they moved often. And she also didn't really care about graduating from high school. I guess not that David did. And Linda didn't have a high school diploma and she was living Patty's dream life. So sad. I know. So Linda became pregnant in 1983. And at the same time, uh, started to have doubts about David and Patty's relationship. Linda felt like her connection with David was evaporating, and she hated seeing the adoration that was playing on Patty's face and Patty's awkward teenage flirtation attempts. Ooh. I wonder, yeah. though, if it had something to do with her pregnancy, too, because he did that to his first wife, mm-hmm. Brenda, right? So after she got pregnant and had cinnamon, right, he was, like, disinterested in her. Keep that in mind. Okay. Womp womp. It's like, well, my job here is done, so... <laughs> Position 472 oh, sealed Jesus. the deal. <laughs> uh, well, remember that. Okay. Because we'll talk about it later. Linda's mother and her sister Mary remember her, Linda, as being very depressed and unhappy during the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wanted Patty to move back home and mentioned it several times, but David always refused to let Patty leave. On July 20th, 1984, Crystal Marie was born, and Linda tucked away all these suspicions and insecurities as pregnancy blues. Unfortunately, Linda's suspicions had a basis in fact. In late January 1985, Cinnamon made a startling discovery when her family took a trip to Kmart. Who the fuck goes to Kmart? What? (laughs) Okay, it's it a was, family trip to it Kmart? It was the 80s. Okay, well, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think Kmart's still open. I don't think it exists anymore. There was one in Walla Walla, and it was just gross. It's just sad inside. I think I've been in one once. And it's sad yeah. inside. It was like a small Walmart. Yeah, basically. A dirtier Walmart. It was like, almost like a pick and save. Okay, Do you remember those? No. Oh, Okay. I used to call them pig and save because it said like pigs shopped there because it was so messy. Aww, and like, they saved money. They're like fiscally responsible. Better than <laughs> yeah. me who uh, hasn't paid her credit card this month. What? Use <laughs> our affiliate links. <laughs> Anywho, Linda and Crystal ended up staying in the car and Cinnamon was browsing around the store until she came face to face with David kissing Patty. Ew. Oh no. Not in a fatherly way. No, 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 no. In Kmart? Ugh. I know, right? So Ugh. romantic. 
kiss me by the underwear aisle in the Kmart. Well, they used to have the blue light special oh my, at oh my, Kmart. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. What's a blue light special? It's just like they would flash these lights and then there would be like some special deal happening in the store. To like create panic or what? I don't know. <laughs> Shopping panic. Like everyone rushed to this aisle because... Oh like we need to induce more frenzy when people go shopping. <laughs> Anyways, blue light special, red light special. Wing, 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 wing. David saw that Cinnamon had seen the kiss, and he explained it away by saying, quote, I'm sorry you had to see that. Kissing Patty was an accident. <gasps> oh, he just tripped and... Which, yeah, mm-hmm. Right on the lips, you know. Was he taking special K at Kmart? <laughs> Ooh. Well, this wasn't super comforting, and Cinnamon remained shocked and confused. But she never told Linda about the incident because she still, like, completely adored her father and would admit that she was also kind of scared of him, too. Okay. Despite being very successful with the process. (laughs) The process. (laughs) David also dabbled in insurance fraud. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Uh, Linda's brother, Alan, had gotten into a minor accident accident on an ATV, uh, but David had him push it off a cliff to ensure maximum damage and maximum insurance payoff. <laughs> At another time, a neighbor had accidentally ran her car into the front wall of their house, which is a lot. Yeah. I don't know the story behind that, but it, it really wasn't that big of an accident, but David really wanted a new computer, so he <laughs> moved his old computer and desk into that room that was hit roughed things up a bit to make things look worse than they were, and was able to trade his old Commodore computer for a brand new IBM. Ooh, that's the stuff. (laughs) 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 Oh my god. In a more, a bit more involved scam, David was able to bilk Allstate for $61,500 based on an extremely low impact car accident. What? He was in good hands. Too good of Mm. hands. David had insisted that he had alerted Allstate immediately after the accident, but they couldn't find any documentation until four months later. (laughs) Four months? Uh Uh-huh. They gave him the benefit of the doubt, which I don't think they would do nowadays. Mm -mm. No. And they paid out, but insurance investigators were suspicious of the payout as they felt it was way too much for a couple scratches on the bumper and uh, no lingering health problems. But when the investigators went to check the records, they found that there was no longer any policy that indicated that he had $100,000 medical coverage. And furthermore, he could not have had the policy that he said he had because Allstate didn't offer that policy at the time. Hmm. But they were unable to prove anything and David got to keep the money and keep buying his toys and moving into newer, nicer houses. Jeez. I will say Verizon's pulled some shysty shit like this, though, on me before (laughs) where they're like oh, well, we weren't offering that at the time that you bought it. I'm like, then how did I sign the paperwork for it, motherfucker? Oh, my God. I can't even with cell companies right now. I'm so mad. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. David collected (sighs) $843,626.38 within six months of Linda's death. He keeps going? Jesus. Full stop. That is Linda life insurance money. Was it with just one policy or multiple? No, no, multiple. Okay. Well, Ugh. after Linda's death, David. Wait, how do they have record of how soon he, like, how recently he started those? I think I'll get to it a little bit. Okay. Okay. 
After Linda's death, David moved to a new house and Patty continued living with him and Crystal. David's parents also usually lived with him, even though they didn't necessarily love it. His mother especially was bothered. Oh my god, Otter. He's doing it again. Imagine if he had (laughs) thumbs. He could open that door. No problem. Then I wouldn't have to get up and let him out. Yeah. You can do it, buddy. He'd open all the other doors, too, that you don't want him to open. This is true. Oh, buddy. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) He's just looking over and you're like, I want the door open. Can you not tell? So David's mother was especially bothered by Patty living with him, as she felt that Patty had no reason to be there since Linda was dead. Yeah, fair. But Manuela also felt that she couldn't leave because she didn't trust Patty and David to take good care of Crystal, her grandchild. Sure. Right. David did not visit his daughter at the Ventura School, so this is Cinnamon, mm-hmm. in her prison for minors. He did not visit her very often, citing his poor health and how he might hemorrhage or pass out on the drive over. The fuck? Just random? With your colitis. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cinnamon believed his health complaints and was always afraid that each visit would be their last. That's so sad. David was less forthcoming about anything besides his health, and Cinnamon didn't even know his new address or phone number. Meanwhile, he's just really actually just exhausted because of how much sex he's having with this minor. Ugh. <sighs> he's gonna say he made love, but... Ugh. Made you love's gross love with a when child. people are actually in love. That's disgusting when they say that. <sighs> this is rape. Yes. In the summer of 1986, when I was growing in my mother's belly, David married for a sixth time. Cut that. Don't cut that. Uh, <laughs> however. Hannah, it's not the belly. It's the uterus. Oh, yeah. I don't think I could survive <laughs> in her stomach. Of course, that could be why there's so much acidity now. Ah, why I'm so uh, caustic. I was I was like, not tart, but... Caustic, not tart. Caustic. Tart is cute. Caustic is sure. just like, go away. All right, so David married for the sixth time. However, David insisted that it wasn't a real marriage. Patty recalls the proposal. Quote, he asked me to marry him because he knew he was dying. And then Crystal would be all alone. He was gone. If she had a stepmother, he could die without worrying about her. As his legal wife, I would have no trouble getting custody of Crystal. Which is not very romantic. No, but I mean, it's a fair thought, I guess. I guess. But he also had his parents around, like, Crystal wasn't going to be put into the system. She had some options. Yeah, so not the most romantic proposal I've ever heard, but Patty jumped at it. She was finally getting what she always wanted. David remembered it in a different way. (laughs) How many times have I said that? (laughs) Quote from David, If you give false information on the application, then the license isn't valid and the marriage isn't valid. Patty and I both deliberately lied on the application. We only got married as a favor to a friend of Patty's who was pregnant. End quote. How is that a favor? Yeah. I don't know. I was like, uh, some kind of like double wedding to induce this like wayward father to be to like commit, maybe. Or maybe like being like godfather, godmother sort of situation. I don't know, but that that would have to be married for that. You don't. And also, or this is all stupid mm-hmm. and not true. It's stupid. <laughs> And despite what David says, Patty and David were legally married at this point. 
The marriage certificate exists and is in legal order, as well as a carefully written prenup that ensured that David would retain all his assets in the event of a divorce and that Patty would get nothing. Why would you write a prenup for a fake wedding? Yep. Well, no one was told about this wedding. Linda had only been dead for 15 months, and it wouldn't look great for David if people knew that he had rebounded again, and this time with his dead wife's sister. Who he's known since she was seven. Yeah. Gross and awkward. Blah. After this wedding, the walls really began to close around Patty. So David had to know where she was at all times. She couldn't leave the house without him. He'd even given her a beeper, whatever a beeper <laughs> is, so that he could oh pay her. My dad had a beeper. I know. I just never had a beeper of my own. What's that? Yeah, the Zoomers are like, what? <laughs> I did. You did? I did. Though it was always my mom, like, where the fuck are you? <laughs> oh like david to patty where the fuck are you yeah yeah so david gave her a beeper so he would always be able to check up with her when she was out of the when he was out of the house but then he had to find a payphone. i know and have a quarter on you uh-huh and david also did not let patty have any contact with her family Ooh, creepy yeah Some contact was still happening, but in a different way, as Patty found herself pregnant in February 1987. Uh, wait, what? Wait, what? What? I'm talking to- So she's- They're married now. Uh Uh-huh. Genital contact. She's pregnant. It's February 1987. Right. You were saying that she didn't have contact with her family. With her- And you said there is- Well, I meant some contact between her and David in a gross way. Oh, I see. That joke didn't work. Cut that. Don't cut that. Okay. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, because you said she was also maybe molested when Uh, she- And that's- Yeah. Anywho. I wrote this poorly. This needed to be reworked if it was going to be a joke. Well, David was not amused. He insisted that Patty get an abortion, but for once in her life, Patty stood her ground and refused. And this is- what she had wanted all along. Patty had told David that a doctor had told her that she couldn't get pregnant, so they didn't have to use protection. Oh. And I don't care how good your penis feels without a condom. It's a trap. <laughs> oh, man. Patty yeah. wouldn't get an abortion. David had to spin an elaborate lie about the circumstances behind Patty's pregnancy. He told everyone that Patty had gotten herself pregnant. That's not how biology works. Nope. <laughs> There's no parthenogenesis in the human nope. uh, species. By a guy <laughs> named Doug who drove either a Camaro or a Trans Am. Well, to be fair, that was a very popular car back then. Wow, a Camaro. <laughs> or a Trans Am. One of the two. But David was certain that Doug was a Greek. Uh- a uh, Greek? Greek, like from Greece. He's oh, very okay. he's very into like knowing where people are from. Yeah, he had said that the Denny's was full of Hispanics and now he was a Greek. Which and he is was awkward. robbed by Indians. Awkward like, <laughs> because he's part Hispanic, Manuela. Yeah. Oh, that's true. But he hated her and so he just pretended that nothing. He got nothing from her, I guess. Okay. David went so far as to order a big bouquet of flowers with a card from Doug. Delivered to Patty. Because <laughs> that'll what a do dick. it. Oh, God. On September 29, 1987, Patty Bailey gave birth to a baby girl, Heather Nicole. She had to pay for the hospital bill herself. No. <laughs> Are you surprised, though? No. <laughs> no, but it's just but like, like, God, he's got so much money. Yeah. 
he couldn't even pay for like for that no what is patty doing like she's not is she working no so how is she paying for it that insurance fraud with the car she was also in the car with david and so she she was getting money payoff from that as well so she had to use basically that insurance payout to pay for her uh hospital bill jesus David would never recognize Heather as his daughter, and that would eventually cause his downfall. And Patty had miscalculated a bit. Uh, She had thought that she could bind David to her permanently if she had his baby. But now she was just a mom with stretch marks, almost 20, way too old. (laughs) (laughs) 20. Almost a complete replica of Linda, whom David had gotten tired of. I thought she just wanted the baby, though. She wanted David, too. Like, the, she thought the baby would make David maybe say the marriage was real, tell people about it. It doesn't. <sighs> well, at this point, Cinnamon had been locked up for three years and had extremely limited contact with her father and barely knew what was going on in his life. Her father's promises that she would not have to go to jail, or if she did, she wouldn't have to be in for very long, um, had not come to fruition. The real turn of the screw, though, was when she heard from her grandfather that Patty was pregnant. She had to learn from her grandfather. Knew, yeah. Knew in her heart of heart who the father of that baby was. Yeah. Her belief in her father was shattered. And she realized that her father had simply used her and then thrown her away. So she reached out to Jay Newell, that investigator, Mm -hmm. for the case. And she had no idea this whole time Jay Newell had been trying to reach her. Wait, how can Jay not reach her? She's just stuck there in a youth center. Well, Jay had continued to keep an eye on David and he knew something was completely off. But he wasn't able to talk to Cinnamon because she was still a minor. And he would need parent, mm. her parents' permission. Oh, okay. And he definitely, definitely didn't want to tip off David that he was right. still under some unofficial sort of investigation. Yeah, okay. So, Cinnamon told Jay her version of the murder night. Quote, It was just me, Patty, and my father left in the living room. My father was all, We have to do it now. We have to do it. It has to be done. And I had no one he met. We had to kill Linda. We had been discussing it for months, talking about pushing Linda out of a moving car. Oh my about- god. Mm-hmm. Or about how wow. Linda was going to tear the family apart. Wait, how old was Crystal at this point? Wasn't she like itty bitty? Itty bitty, like a year or two. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking like, were they talking about killing her while she was still pregnant? And actually, they were all in a van together and Cinnamon was supposed to open the like slidey door and push her out, but she couldn't do it. So he had a molester van? He did. Oh my gosh. Weird. Cinnamon asked, well, who do you expect to do it? And David answered, you. If you love me, you'll do it. If you really love me, you'll do it. Despite that, Cinnamon insisted that Patty had been the one to pull the trigger, as David had already left the house and Cinnamon had taken the pills and was in the doghouse. This was exciting to Jane Newell, but he knew he would need much more than just Cinnamon's confession, mm-hmm. especially as she was convicted. In order to try to get verification of Cinnamon's story, he wanted to get David's voice on record. So they were able to get a court order for Cinnamon to wear a wire, and then Cinnamon convinced her father and Patty to finally come and visit her again. Damn. Let's do some acting. Sarah? Yeah, I'm here. Page 12. You'll be Cinnamon. I'll be David. Okay. I'm giving you a lot in this first part. There'll be less in the second part. But here we go. Cool, cool. 
as David. So what do you have to tell me? It's something concerning me being confused. I have a lot of emotion lately, and I needed to talk to you about it because I feel like I'm lost. Why did you tell me that I would only be here for a little bit and then they let me go home? Because that's what I understood the law to be. I mean, apparently I didn't. I just, I feel like you lied to me. No, I didn't lie to you. Well, what was the purpose of it all? It confuses the hell out of me because I'm always lying so much. I forget what the lie was before that was. And and then I tell them another lie and they say that's another lie. Insane. David tried to placate Cinnamon by telling her that Linda had gotten into drugs and owed money. So Linda and her brother had decided to kill David so that Linda would inherit data recovery and pay off whoever they owed money to. And then he changed his mind and said, nope, actually, Alan, Linda's brother, he's in the mafia. (laughs) And the mafia really wants to run data recovery and know the process. Oh, for the love. Well, wait, 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 wait. Actually, remember how much Linda wanted you out of the house and how much you thought about it? Oh, well, you don't? Well, Patty said that she would confess to the murder if needed. So he was telling a lot of stories and just changing all the time. And Cinnamon was having none of it and kept Mm -hmm. bringing the conversation back to subjects that made David uncomfortable. Sarah, come back. Otter. Sorry, had to let the cat in. Okay. Scene again. I'm David, you're Cinnamon. All right. Patty went through a spell there where she didn't know who the father of the baby was. She thinks this guy named Doug. (laughs) He's the one claiming responsibility for it. And Patty says he's a creep. He's Greek. He's mean. He's hit her. She wants nothing to do with him and she's not giving him any visitation rights. So you're not the father? Hell no. I'm not the father. You kidding? I haven't been with a woman in so long. I don't even know if I ever for men now. Sometimes I think about it. You think I'm joking? I'm serious. I don't think I could ever trust a woman again. <laughs> See. Well. Sorry. It's good, right? Yeah. Oh my god. You have more, but let's do this. We're going to throw Patty under the bus. Because Patty was found to have gunpowder on her hands on the night of the murder. So, David re- reasoned... Is that not literally a smoking gun, then? Yeah. She did handle... She did say she handled the gun, though. Okay. But David re- reasoned that it would be easy to get her convicted. I mean, anyone but David needs to get convicted. Quote, David says to Cinnamon, All this time I thought you did it because you love me. I mean, this is not what I wanted. I would have much rather had you home all the time. I mean, then your truth is that you don't know anything. You don't remember anything. Because if they come to me, that's what I'm going to tell them. I don't know anything. And I don't remember anything. Because if I go to jail, I can't survive jail. Especially with my heart and my liver and my kidney problem. The cancer. The cancer. And the colitis. The colitis? I I can't. I would kill myself before I would let myself die a slow and painful death in a cell. It's a lot worse, you know, for grown-up men in prison. Oh, is it now? Yeah. End quote. We're going to act a little bit more. Sarah? Okay. Despite the very serious subjects at hand, like what jail is like for grown-up men, David couldn't resist letting his attention wander for a bit to a group of girls playing basketball. Gross. Great. You want to stare at the people on the field, don't you? Ah, my daughter knows me. I like the dark meat myself. You like the what? The dark meat. You're disgusting. Yeah. On why Cinnamon didn't have contact information for David, he explained that they had sent Cinnamon the new contact information. It must have gotten lost in the mail or he wrote the number down incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Get your digits right or don't send them at all. 
My digit's fine. Want to see it? Uh, on Heather. I wanted to ask you some questions about the baby. I never get to talk to you. I, I don't even know what the kid looks like. Like a turd? On the Kmart kiss, my love for Patty is no different than my love for you and my love for Crystal. I mean, there's nothing physical there. You mean then that would be considered in- as incest then when I saw you and her kissing? Or what I saw you and her do. Fathers do with their daughters. I mean, you know, that's not that unusual. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's very common. They have sex with their daughters. It doesn't make any difference to them, whoever's handy. What the fuck? Jesus Christ! And in closing, as David, I'll start. City, if you did do it, you did it because you love me just as much as I love you. But I didn't do it. I believe it. You're always too lovable, you know. You're always too funny and cute, like me. Don't push it. <laughs> fuck the fuck off. So gross. Thank you. Oh. Thank you all in the actor's circle. Oh my god, That's that was bad. so fucked up. My jaw, like, unhinged how low it dropped when I read your part. I didn't want to make you be David. Because <laughs> you'd be oh, surprised. And I'd written it down so I could do it. Well, later, David will remember his visit as the time that Cinnamon invited him up to Ventura School because she wanted his blessing and a crush she had on an Asian boy. I'm just convinced that this is like, is is all of Orange County this racist? Probably. Do we have any Orange County listeners? Sorry, Orange County, but I don't know. Widen your thought process. Sorry, not sorry. Don't widen it. Like W-I-T-E. Widen. Widen it. Yeah. According to David, Cinnamon had been worried that David wouldn't like it because he had made a lot of jokes about the Vietnamese who lived in their town. Mm. Oh, but David's a good guy. He has no feelings against Orientals. That's not what you call him. Quote, if he was black, of course I'd want to meet him. (gasps) What is his problem? Oh my gosh. Anywho, there was finally enough evidence to arrest both David Brown and Patty Bailey. Thank God. In the squad car, David turned into a little baby, calling out, Help me! Someone help me! I'm going to be sick! I'm claustrophobic! Oh, Lord. Oh, man, then you'll just have to sit in your own vomit, you turd. Well, he wasn't- Like your fucking daughter did in the doghouse. He was able to recover enough from his claustrophobia to inform the police that they had taken the wrong route, and that the freeway would take forever at that time of day- (laughs) And he was so helpful that he directed them along an alternate route that got them to jail even quicker. Great. <laughs> yeah, so they wouldn't have to be in the fucking car with him for any longer. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, this is fine. Well, while waiting for David and Patty's trials, Cinnamon made her final confession. And she finally admitted that she had been the one to pull the trigger. Uh, but she had not been able to admit it before because, quote, I'm ashamed that I love my father enough to shoot Linda. I'm ashamed of it, and I didn't want to accept it or admit it, end quote. So the final and what we will take to be the true account of what happened that night goes as follows. David had woken Cinnamon and Patty up and told them that it had to be done tonight. He was going to leave the house, and when he came back, if Linda wasn't dead, he would have to leave or kill himself or something because otherwise Linda was going to kill him. Uh, David handed Patty the gun and the towel and left the house. Patty handed the gun to Cinnamon and asked her if she remembered what David had told her to do with the pillow. Cinnamon walked into the master bedroom and fired towards the side of the bed that Linda slept on, using the pillow as a makeshift silencer. 
The pillow ended up getting stuck in the gun, so she ran back to Patty's room, where they both struggled to get it free, before suddenly being deafened by the sound of a gunshot in the room as somehow one of them had pulled the trigger. And it was basically a miracle that they ended up shooting Crystal in the process. Yeah. Oh my god. Then they heard a whining sound coming from the bedroom and knew that Linda wasn't actually dead. So Patty cocked the gun, handed it back to Cinnamon, who went back into the master bedroom and fired the second shot. She then took the handful of pills that David had left her. No. No! Took the confession note and went out to the doghouse and waited to be found. Unaware that what David had left was a lethal dose. What a... And Mm. just in case, David had wanted Cinnamon to shoot herself in the head. But miss, you know... But so it looks like a suicide after taking those pills. But uh, Cinnamon did not do every single thing her father asked of her. So she did not try to graze her head with a gunshot. Jesus. Uh, okay. Well, in the meantime, David was writing Patty multiple lo- letters a day in an attempt to keep her on his side. In an interesting twist, he sent her letters from two different personalities. The first <laughs> was his own. And the second was Doug. Oh, oh no. Doug. Jesus. Who, no, no. He was. Who sent her flowers? No, no. Doug is a lover, but no relation to the abuse of Doug the Greek. He just likes oh, the name Doug. I guess so. Uh, so from David to Patty. No one wanted to hurt you at all. There was no way to know that anyone but Cinnamon would hear those conversations. But you should know better than anyone that Cinny never likes you. And that we have always told her what she wanted to hear. She had confessed to killing Linda at least a half dozen times with you there at visiting, so I I didn't mean anything when I said those things. I was just trying to play along with whatever game she was playing at the time. (sighs) And in a separate, extremely weird letter, Doug knows that having to sneak around in order to be in love is what hurt your relationship together. But not anymore. Wait, is he speaking the third person? Yes. Doug says that since the attorneys will know, he will tell his family about you and him being married. Okay? Doug said, all I care about is our future together. Personally, I can see in you the same things Doug does. Boy, does he think about you all the time. That's why I know how much he loves you and means it. You are loving, caring, thoughtful, sharing, warm, mature, sweet, innocent, pure, and beautiful. I can see also why he's so proud to have you as his wife. I think he's one of the luckiest guys on earth. David, the fuck? Seriously. So these letters did not have the effect that he was hoping for, and, and he was crushed when, at his preliminary hearing, he saw Patty talking with the prosecutors. Patty also testified at the preliminary hearing that she had been David's original choice to murder Linda, going so far as to put a gun in her hand one night, but Patty had been unable to follow through. Once back in his cell, David wrote a all-caps heartbroken poem of a sort to Patty, which goes, My love is a profound heartache, and the fire of my soul lost wherever we are apart. The very fiber of my being becomes like dust. I love that you yelled it because it was in all caps. It's all caps, caps. and there's no punctuation. Yeah. He spelled soul <laughs> wrong, and like, it's a whole bunch of things. That's great. Based on the evidence and testimonies, I'm wrapping it up, I promise. David was held for trial, was held for trial for murder and conspiracy, as well as a special allegation that David had plotted his wife's death for financial gain, which meant that David was not eligible for the death penalty. Woo! 
Yes. Yep. Now that it seemed clear that Patty was no longer under his influence, David turned to a different plan. Murder for hire. Oh, shit. I'm just like, it keeps going. Not the process. Tell me. It's Doug. (laughs) Doug. No, he's like... Doug's like, but I'm locked up here with you. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's not Doug, unfortunately. But on the list were Patty, Jay Newell, the prosecutor, Jeff Robinson, his first wife, Brenda, and her second husband. And, you know, maybe if there's time, one or two of Linda's brothers, too. Why not? Jeez. That's a lot of money. I know. David had (laughs) warned Brenda that he would never forgive her for having a baby with another man. But he eventually decided to take Brenda off the list. Because she didn't really fit into the theme of what he was doing. And then a fun turn of events, David ended up being played twice. First, when Cinnamon wore a wire during their visit, and second, by his cellmate, Richard Steinhardt, whom David had brought into his plans, but who went to the authorities and then played along with David until enough evidence was gathered to press new charges. <laughs> so, good job, Dick. Dick, I want to call him Steinhardt, because he was in and out of jail for most of his life, but at his core... Just seemed to be like he was a good man. He just had this addiction to cocaine that he he couldn't really break. Fair enough. Mm. But Steinhardt was also disgusted by David and Uh. saw him as a very vulnerable person streetwise, but also extremely ruthless and as someone who would do anything to get what he wanted. It's all about that that ego. He's got that sociopathy disease. A hundred percent. It's like you read my (laughs) script. Here we go. It's the next paragraph. David worked out a plan, but he wanted Steinhardt to understand the true reason for his escape from prison. David needed to be there for his little girl, Crystal, (laughs) who had no one, even though she was currently being cared for by David's parents. Manuela, who cared more about her than David Mm -hmm. ever did. And just to hammer the point home that David is completely obtuse, he also told Steinhardt, quote, Okay, I'm not egotistical at all. I think you know that. But I, I think I'm worth more than they are. End quote. What? Oh my god. Steinhardt was due to be released soon. So after he was released, Steinhardt was to burn David's motor home and his current house uh, for the insurance money, which would be used to pay Steinhardt. And then David then wanted Steinhardt to execute at least three people. Uh, At the same time, David would arrange some sort of ruse so that he would be taken to a dentist office from which he would escape, and Steinhardt would make sure there was some way for him to make a clean escape. And once all of that was done, he would meet up with Steinhardt, and they would go out into the desert, where David had apparently $3 million buried, and the two of them would flee to Australia. Right. Foolproof. Except it very much was not, and the investigators now had 26 audio and or videotapes that had David actively soliciting soliciting for a hitman, mm-hmm. and he had even already paid $23,000 for the act. Steinhardt's like, I'm not here for, like, murder or anything, dude. I just like coke. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and I, I'll say Steinhardt's story got kind of sad because he ended up getting AIDS. Oh. But... He lived long enough to be, like, interviewed for this book and whatnot and to, to testify against David. So, I think... Thank you for your service, I think service he was a good Steinhardt. guy. Just cocaine's a hell of a drug. It is. All right. Well, David's trial just kept getting more and more complicated, so it was postponed. <laughs> 
Sure. Uh, in the meantime, Patty Bailey had her day in juvenile court where she pled guilty to Linda's murder. She was 21 years old at the time of her trial and was sentenced to the California Youth Authority until her 25th birthday. Four years. Uh-huh. And although some people mutter that Patty had received a deal in exchange for her testimony against David, the prosecutor, Jeff Robinson, insisted that she had not, and the reason that the trial was held in juvenile court was because Patty had been 17 at the time of the murder. Yeah. She had not been the one to pull the trigger, and she had been sexually abused and brainwashed by David since she was at least 13 years old. Uh... Or, or seven. seven, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he groomed her for, like, ever. Yeah, it's so disgusting. <sighs> Munchausen syndrome. By proxy, maybe, but yeah. it's different for grooming. But David's trial was a bit more complicated. We all know now that David is a garbage person, but the jurors would be a different story. No, garbage people are better than him because they at least do the city as a service. <sighs> Then what is then what is he a sewer? No, sewers are important. Mm-hmm. He's he's a COVID he's person. He's a flea that lives on a. He's sewer an anti-vaxer. Oh yeah, there you go. But anyway, the juror, all they would know about David was that he was a successful businessman, and the chief witnesses against him were convicts, Cinnamon and Patty, or ex-convicts, <laughs> Richard Steinhardt. So the prosecution also needed to teach the jury that it was not necessary to be the one to pull the trigger to be guilty of murder, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a tricky legal concept. So first, there was conspiracy, and as the prosecutor explained, a crime is more likely to happen if two or more people come together to plan it. Thus, the law sees the actual planning of a crime as a separate crime, conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Then there's the concept of vicarious liability. So if you aid and abet in a crime, you can still be as guilty as the actual perpetrator. And then lastly, there is effective withdrawal. So the defense would try to argue that David had attempted to withdraw from the plan and had told the kids, the girls, not to kill Linda. In order to legally sever oneself from a conspiracy, one must notify the other parties of their intention to withdraw and do everything in their power to prevent its commission. So, David kept head- handing out guns willy-nilly and leaving his beloved <laughs> wife alone in the house with others, whom he had discussed it went killing on a long Linda drive. with. Yeah. <laughs> so, a very ineffective withdrawal. The kind yeah. that will get you pregnant or convicted of murder. <laughs> Pull-out game, not strong. (laughs) So, the jury did make everyone sweat a little bit as they did not come back with a verdict until three days into the process, but the jury found David guilty on all counts. First-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and special circumstances of murder for financial gain. And the prosecutors need not have worried. Uh, One juror said that it only took seven hours to deliberate, and everyone came in basically convinced of his guilt, especially after watching his interrogation video. Oh, I bet. Another juror was uh, shocked at the sexual perversion discussed in this case. And my absolute favorite juror said, quote, oral sex? I cannot imagine allowing that man to even touch my arm. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. Yeah, no. All right, so David Arnold Brown was finally getting his comeuppance, which looks like life without the possibility of parole. 
And then shortly after that, he went to trial again for the conspiracy charges to have Patty, Jay Newell, and Jeff Robertson murdered. And so six years were added to his life sentence. That's it? Yeah. I feel like, I mean, you could tack on an extra 25 per person that he wanted to murder. You could tack on literally anything to that. But, um... I don't know, just for good measure. <laughs> before dismissing David from the court, the judge told him, quote... Mr. Brown, you'll make Charlie Manson look like a piker, end quote. And I had to look up what a piker is. I was going to say, what's a piker? And I'm pretty sure it just means someone who makes very small bets and isn't a racial slur. Oh. Let us know. But uh, whatever a piker is, it hurt David's feelings to be compared to one. Bummer. And as he was leaving court, he complained that the judge didn't need to be so mean about it. Quote, he didn't have to say that about Manson. (laughs) (laughs) He burned himself. So Cinnamon Brown was released from prison in 1992 when she was 21. Uh, Jay Newell and his wife had gotten close to Cinnamon during this whole debacle, so after she was released from prison, she was able to ease back into society by moving in with the Newells. And then in fact, Cinnamon ended up marrying a man whom Jay had introduced her to. Aww. Um, and they had a son together, but tragedy struck in 2006 when he was found dead. Uh, very little is known about his death but it is thought to have been a suicide. Cinnamon did marry again, this time to a law enforcement officer, and she seems to be living a happy life. Her Facebook bio simply says, smiling. Uh, Patty Bailey was released a year after Cinnamon, when Patty was 25. Uh, She changed her name, got married, regained custody of her daughter, Heather, and gave birth to twin boys in 1994. And the father's name was Doug. (laughs) Oh my god, I hope so. (laughs) Crystal, who is Linda and David's daughter, was raised by David's parents, who still supported David and thought that he had been wrongly convicted. (laughs) So until she was 13, Crystal thought her mother had died in a car accident. No. And she learned about the depth of her father's depravity when someone gave her a book about the case. Oh, yikes. She's all grown up now with kids of her own, and she also runs a Facebook page dedicated to her mom and expresses a desire to meet Cinnamon and Patty. So quote from Crystal, I don't blame either of them for what happened, and I would love to get to know my sisters. Patty and Cinnamon, if you guys happen to be following the page, I hope you two can see that no matter what, I love you guys. It doesn't matter if we have officially met and talked or not. What matters is that you and everyone else knows that you are forgiven, and I look forward to seeing you and getting to know you and the families I was taken from. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, and then from what I can tell, Patty and Crystal have met but Cinnamon has not reached out. Hmm. As for David, he had some prison pen pals. Oh, (laughs) shit. But he died of natural causes in prison in 2014. Good riddance. Colitis. (laughs) Natural, I guess. That's the story of David Arnold Brown, a complete disgusting skeevy douchebag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pedophile. The bulk of my research came from a book, obviously. This is so fucking long because I had a book to read. <laughs> it's called If You Really Loved Me by Anne Rule. Anne Do you Rule. know who Anne Rule is? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say if you don't know who Anne Rule is, you, then you should fix it. Then you're not listening to this podcast. Yeah. 
But if you don't know who Anne Rule is, go get The Stranger Beside Me. That was her first book, and it was written when she was working at a suicide hotline in Seattle at the same time as Ted Bundy. Mm -hmm. It's super good. I have another Anne Rule book that will be a case in the future. Ooh, which one? So I don't do it. (laughs) I I don't know where it's at right now. And I'm going to read this one because it was a request from our listener, Amy, and uh, it's her uncle that was involved in the story. So, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Much, much love to Anne Rule. I love Anne Rule. She's amazing. The Stranger Beside Me is just top notch true crime writing. Mm -hmm. If You Really Loved Me is very detailed. But I would say I could have used an editor to trim it down a little bit, especially in the last part when David was arrested, because all of his, like, jailhouse maneuverings got a little repetitive. But it's that rule, so we'll give her that. Yeah. There also was a miniseries made by NBC in 1991 called Loves, Lies, and Murder. <laughs> uh, I found the full miniseries posted on YouTube, and I have watched the first half hour right up to the point where we started recording. <laughs> but it's pretty solid 90s okay. bullshit, and I do love that in a movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just know it's not a documentary, it's more of a reenactment. I find those sometimes, like, way creepier. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a very unsurprising fun fact, it's also now in syndication on Lifetime. <laughs> but in a slightly more fun fact, the actor who played David Brown is the voice of Mr. Krabs <gasps> on SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> oh my god. And I... I can't, I can't, I was watching it, I can't, I I can't put them together, I can't. (laughs) It's like, 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 rattly, like, oh, wow. Yeah, so there's that. I'm sure the voice actor doesn't sound exactly like Mr. Krabs every time he talks, though. No, I think he does something to his voice, because I, I was watching it, I'm like, that doesn't sound like Mr. Krabs, per se. Uh. So, let me just say, real brief, David Arnold Brown. Born November 16, 1952, making him a Scorpio, and boy does he nail the negative aspects of an unevolved Scorpio. Mm. <laughs> Jealous. Yep. Yep. Cunning. Yep. Manipulative. Mm-hmm. Ruthless. Yep. Revengeful. Mm-hmm. Aggressive. Yes. Passive-aggressive. Egotistical. <laughs> oh, yes. Egotistical. Suspicious and distrustful. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Secretive? Yes. Yeah. Check, 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 Oh, yeah. Selfish? Check. check. <laughs> exactly. So, honestly, he actually, I think, is a pretty good example of an unevolved Scorpio. He's a damn good example. Scorpios, evolve yourselves. <laughs> I love Scorpios. Same. But the ones that haven't quite gone to their best self... There's, there's this. This is what my Venus is, so everyone can remember that as well. But uh, if you're having problems, seek therapy, not other ways out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. David needed a lot of therapy because he definitely also thought he was sick all the time. Yeah. But that's all I have, which is a lot. <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> I had this written though, and Sarah couldn't go this week, and I basically just added the last like page on at the end about the where they are now and the and the media so yeah i keep picking things from books which then i get a lot of details from <laughs> how are you gonna do this meredith just like i don't fucking press know. it to 1.5 speed the whole time i'm so sorry <laughs> this may be our unedited version where i just line I... it up and call it fucking good <laughs> 
I cut stuff out too. And I was like, but it's all like entertaining, I feel like. Yeah. I'm still trying uh, to finish up the hour and 40 minute episode for Halloween. So oh my God. Yeah, a two was... hour plus episode will be just dandy. We just won't have me go for a while. <laughs> Maybe it should be Sarah Meredith Sarah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Just to give Meredith a break. <laughs> Or we could just throw in like a 30 minute episode. I like the idea of doing oh, the shorty yeah. ones mm-hmm. where it like they're the two pages ish. Yeah. Are the Thanksgiving murders? The pilgrims. <laughs> That's dark. I know. Yeah, we could do that or just a just a short episode. I'm sure there's Thanksgiving related stuff though. Yeah. People poisoning the turkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing riles you up like your own family. Oh fuck. And Uno. Right? Clearly. Yeah. There is a Uno drinking game that I just can't wait to be done with COVID and be able to have like big family gatherings again. But yeah, so there's shot glasses and they're the color of the cards. (gasps) And then there's certain cards that once you get it, then you have to take a shot. It would end up in like fisticuffs at my Mm. house, but like, it's awesome. It still would be so much fun. Should I go to Astrology Corner or is this already long enough? Ah, just let's do it. Why okay. not? Right. Uh, real quack. So, new moon in quack, Scorpio. Quack. <laughs> Speaking of Scorpio. New moon in Scorpio oh. on November 4th. But we're going to take a positive spin on this Scorpio. So, new moon in Scorpio Scorpios might create the need. Yeah. They might create the need to be able to delve into your feelings as deeply as possible. Because um, they are deep. So, mm-hmm. you you might feel like you're desiring some actual meaningful uh, emotional connection now more than ever um, and even if it's not easy or you feel feel like you're being forced to change things because this Scorpio intensity means that shallow relationships aren't going to be satisfying to you so that's why a Scorpio fetus is a hard thing to have <laughs> yes so on Friday the day after November 5th Venus is entering Capricorn and Mercury is entering <gasps> Scorpio yay oh we're gonna be so practical I'm gonna give you like a fucking like avocado peeler or something out of love (laughs) i gave andrew a garlic press for his birthday i use my garlic press all the time he did want it yeah yeah no it's a great tool it's a unitasker but it's a great tool and like actually chopping up garlic super annoying it is Yep. So Venus and Capricorn spells good news for romantic relationships. The steadfastness and grounded Capricorn energy can give you stability, much needed stability, probably after all of the retrograde and shit that you've been through. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so you might want to set a nice date night and really focus on each other and your shared goals because Ooh. the Mercury going into Scorpio also helps here because Mercury is all about communication and Scorpio is known for being passionate and curious alongside of the the depth, right? So mm-hmm. this transit with both of these signs kind of means that our connections and our conversations are going to be more emotional, more deep, more stable. And we're going to want to kind of feed into that feeling of that pull towards maybe uncovering some of the things that we want to get to a deeper level. Anyway, I got two more. So this episode airs on November 1st. And on November 1st, Mercury in Libra will be trying with Jupiter in Aquarius. And this is a day that is going to be really good to be social. Keep that in mind. And then the following day after you've been social and been having so much fun, Mercury in Libra will be square 
with <laughs> Pluto and Capricorn. And it's really important for you to remember to be tactful. Otherwise, <laughs> those fights could get nasty. Yikes. So go out and drink and then just yeah. stay home the next day. Exactly. <laughs> Capricorn's not super known for their tactfulness. Yeah. <laughs> are you the ones who are always saying, you know, I say it like it is, and then everyone hates yeah, you for it? Yeah, <laughs> actually it is. <laughs> if you don't like me at my worst, you oh, don't deserve God, I me at my worst. No, I don't. I don't, I, I don't say that. I don't say that. That's annoying. But um, I don't have a quote because fuck, this is a lot. I actually, I 100% owe you a six-pack. <laughs> Happy Witch's New Year, y'all. Woo! Write some resolutions. Like, it's the new year for wishes. What do you want to bring into your life? What do you want to shed? Mm. Bad habits, get rid of them. Good habits, try to get them in. Positive self-talk is what I am trying. If you're feeling like a David in your life, let a little bit more Doug in. Yeah. Uh, Doug's a lover. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be David. David. Hello, David. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the best show. So we would like to hear from you. So you can connect with us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com and check out our website at www. No. Somebody out there. You know what to do. It's late. TrueCrimeTrine.com. You probably don't even need the W's. Just truecrimetrine.com and you'll get there. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.